Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, I'm so excited to talk about this one. We've actually had this episode sitting in the Patreon for a while now as a uh, bonus exclusive advanced episode, which by the way, produced by David Rosen Patreon, patreon.com slash by David Rosen, lots of great content over there. But uh, we're going to talk about George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing a movie that came to the theaters earlier this year, everybody slept on it, or they hated it because they just didn't understand it. I love this movie. I'll be talking about it again in a month or so when we do our top 10 films of the year episode. I love this movie, and I'm so excited to finally talk about it. It's out now on rentals, so if you didn't watch it the first time around, hey, you might be one of those people who hated it, uh, but if you didn't watch it yet, Give it a try. Open mind. Give it a try. No, it is not Mad Max Fury Road. It's a very different kind of movie, but give it a watch. We are about to talk about it. We've got Joe Black joining us. Joe Black, who's been here on the show many times before. Joe also loved it, and we have a lot of great puzzle pieces to get into. So that's coming up in a second. Before we get to the conversation, uh, you can find us on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at PiecingPod. Uh, that's where you'll find me. You could also directly get in touch with me if you ever want to uh, send me some puzzle pieces or maybe be on an episode of the show sometime or just get in touch. Let me know what you think of the show. You can email me, bydavidrosen at gmail.com. I always love hearing from people. So get in touch and also check out our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And with that said, let's talk about 3,000 Years of Longing. Joe Black is back with me to talk about 3,000 Years of Longing, and I'm excited to talk about this one. Joe, how's it going? Oh, it's going It's going really good. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it as well, but it's weird to say, like, excited about this movie because it's such, like, a peaceful movie in a way. Mm. Like, to get excited yeah. about something that's so, like, peaceful is, 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 is weird. <laughs> like, it's... I, do you think, and, like, let's jump off with this before getting into our pieces and everything you're calling the movie peaceful and i i kind of agree with that statement do you think that maybe lends itself to why people are like what the hell is this movie and they just they their expectations were just not in the right place for it yeah i mean especially with that trailer with that like boom and music that they put behind it and they put like all like Mm -hmm. the jokes and like the little weird drippy sound effects and stuff like yeah it's the trailer is not um accurate they tried to sell it 
as a movie from the guy who made Mad Max Fury Road. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, when really it should have been from the guy who made like Happy Feet. Um, yeah. <laughs> not, not, yeah. not, you know, I, and also I remember the trailer reminded me of like Babe Pig in the City, you know, mm. and, and, but that movie's very energetic and very like bombastic and slapstick. And this movie, it's just really not, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's full, it's rich, but it's not, um, it's not really aggressive and it's not really like it's not shaking you and telling you how to feel and what to think. Right. And when when we did our trailer episode, you know, obvious the, the obvious thing from the trailer is to, you know, go Aladdin or something like that. It's, it's a genie movie, you know, but it's really more of a woman who loves stories movie mm-hmm. like and there just happens to be a genie there. And it's it is a very different thing than what's being sold and I understand that. I mean, how do you sell a movie like this today? Like, it's not, it can't be easy. I'm glad that you said that there's a genie there because, like, some people are trying to go on the whole, is there, isn't there even a genie? And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it's a movie. There's a genie. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. that's that's at least the camp I fall into. It's like, come on, folks. Like, no, yeah. there's a genie. No, that, that actually, that actually, like, is in part of one of my puzzle pieces. I, I talk about that, about, like, is there or isn't there? And I agree with you. Like, there, there's definitely a genie. It's still a movie. It's still a big, over-the-top movie. But there are things about the story and what it's trying to convey where it's like, well, that's not exactly 100% the point here. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm excited so, to know what that puzzle piece is. We'll get to it for sure, but uh, let, let's start getting into some. I, I've got a bunch here. What do you have for your first piece? Okay, um, you know, I had mentioned this to you way back when, um, so but uh, so we'll just get it out of the way first, but uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water. Sure. Um, I, you know, most people have either not seen it or forgotten it, uh, but I am not in either of those camps. It's one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Um, mm-hmm. And I hated it when it originally came out. Like, I, I don't even think I finished it in the theater. But then for some reason, I, I, I rewatched it back in like 2014. And it was one of those things where halfway through watching it, I rented it from like a, a video store. Halfway through watching it, I bought it on Blu-ray and I ordered the poster. And I was living mm-hmm. in like a tiny little studio apartment at the time. And the poster was like the only thing I had on the wall for a minute. Um <laughs> And, you know, the reason why I, I'm using it as a puzzle piece here is because not only is it like a fairy tale about like mundane cynics, but it's also specifically a, a fairy tale about saving stories. Sure. Like, um, it, you know, if you remember in the movie The Mermaid, the, the whole premise is Paul Giamatti is a uh, is a landlord, a maintenance man at a building manager, rather at an apartment complex who um, finds a mermaid in the pool and yeah. is trying to get her back to her eagle before a wolf made of grass eats her. Um, mm-hmm. That's the actual story. And yeah. and her name is Story. Yeah. Um, it's very on the nose, um, much like this movie is. And and what I like what I like about the movie is that it's so it's such a fairy tale. Like it's 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 very modern, very contemporary. But like I said, there's wolf, a wolf made of grass is like the main villain. And and like there's like these monkeys made out of like wood that are, you know what I mean? Like in this very modern urban setting of this uh, ramshackle apartment complex. And I also like in the movie, there's a um, a film critic character played by uh, Bob Balaban who yeah. he's like this cynical, every movie sucks, like story, nobody knows how to tell stories anymore. He thinks he knows everything. 
there's a there's a really great moment where it's like raining and and uh, he's talking to Paul Giamatti and he's like, I've just come back from a film, a stupid trite romantic comedy that ends with lovers kissing in the rain. Tell me why is it that every movie has to end with people in the rain? And Paul Giamatti's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe it's a metaphor for the symbolism of washing away old things and becoming new and pure. And Bob Baldwin <laughs> just goes, no, it isn't. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> you know, and of course, Lady in the Water does end with all the characters in the rain getting washed. Of course, um, yeah. And and it does take a little bit of a cynical approach because Bob Balaban is the only one who gets killed by the wolf because he thinks mm. he knows that he'll escape because he knows all about stories. And yeah. I, I felt like this movie was very similar. Tilda Swinton's character is very similar. She's a bit cynical, a bit closed off to stories anymore, but doesn't want to be, unlike Bob mm. Balaban's character in Lady in the Water. She doesn't want to be. You know, she's yeah. still very open. She's just hurt and jaded, you know? And uh, watching yeah. her metamorphosis in this was like awesome. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and yeah, and you know, I told you before we recorded like that, Lady in the Water. It's definitely on my rewatch list. I mean, I loved Old last year, and so I'm kind of back on the M Night train after a few movies in a row that I was a little cold on. Um, but I feel like Lady in the Water deserves a rewatch from me, and we'll see. I mean, I was definitely in the did not like it camp yeah. when it first came out. It's the but... most M Night movie you could ever imagine. Like he's yeah. What's so funny is that people always treated him at first like with six cents and signs, like he was a normal filmmaker. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. he's like Spielberg, and and I was back then. Even then, I was like, no, he's not. Like his movies are weird. His his dialogue is weird. His tone is weird. He's kind of doing like almost like what Tarantino did for like, you know, 70s exploitation movies. That's what M. Night is doing for like 50s science fiction. Like, yeah, he's specifically leaning into those tropes, into those like flowery dialogue and melodrama. You know what I mean? Like the happening isn't as bad as people make it out to be. It's just it just doesn't work, if that makes sense. Right. Like he knew what he was doing. It wasn't a mistake. Mm-hmm. It just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, it's total intention in all of his movies. He's a he's a good filmmaker. Right. It's just, you know, it doesn't always work out the way he was trying for. But uh, yeah, no, Lady in the Water, of course, great one to uh, include here. Uh, I'll kick it off with a couple of pieces combined um, just to continue on that whole appreciation of uh, stories and art and uh, movies, which is part of what I loved about this movie. I I said it in my letterbox, like, yeah, we're celebrating stories, but stories could be movies, they could be books, they could be comics, they could be music, like anything with a story is a story. Like, And I... I, I included two movies that celebrate and love movies, and that's Michelle Gondry's Be Kind Rewind and Scorsese's Hugo. Mm-hmm. Um, two movies that, very different movies and very different approaches to that love of the art of making stories and of telling stories and of uh, remembering them and celebrating them, uh, but they both love movies. And that's the thing that really kind of jumped off the screen at me with this. Uh, well, yes, it's a lot more subtle than I think people were expecting from George Miller after Mad Max Fury Road. It still just absolutely radiates with this love of storytelling of movies, I feel like, even if it is all kinds of other stories. Uh, it, it, it's just, it celebrates everything that uh, makes us fall in love with movies, makes us continue to rewatch them. And how fulfilling and uh, you know happy they can make us. I I love that. I love Hugo as a piece. Um, 
it's interesting. Be kind rewind. I when I saw it in the theater, I missed the first like twenty minutes. I thought mm. I had only missed like the first like five minutes. You know what I mean? Like, and and I missed yeah. like twenty minutes, and I loved it. And then when I got it on DVD and saw the first twenty minutes, I was like, hmm. you know, because mm, like didn't... you're right that it he does love movies, Michel Gondry. But I think that it's funny. I don't know that he does love stories. I think he just loves play and imagination. Mm. You know what I mean? And and well, and the, and that is another mm-hmm. side of the overall art, though. I yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I think, uh, I, I, yeah, I definitely don't disagree with that. I me being like a writer primarily, that's still how I think of myself primarily. Sure. I see something yeah. like Be Kind Rewind, and I go, but what about what I do? <laughs> like <Yeah>. um, <laughs> H- Hugo, on the other hand, Hugo, like what I didn't even think. Man, like what a perfect piece. Like especially yeah. coming from such a like like an auteur like George Miller, who normally doesn't deal in like the, you know, in this kind of, you know, gentle kind of environment. I mean, you know, you're talking about the guy who made the Mad Max movies and even his kids movies like Babe Pig in the City is very aggressive and ugly and like, you know, dark. And this one's just not like it's it's just a lovely ode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So right on. Well, let's go to uh, your next piece. All right. Uh, I have the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Sure. Um, like the, the trailer for this initially reminded me of Terry Gilliam. Like yeah. it looked like a Terry Gilliam movie. And um, and I, I started, I mean, Terry Gilliam's one of my, one of my all time favorites. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I honestly, even though I wouldn't say his movies get better every time, I actually think he gets better as a director every time. And mm-hmm. um, I think that the perfect like meeting place was Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And that movie is about um, like this mystical monk who sold his soul to the devil played by Tom Waits um, at, for exchange for mortality. And now it's come time for the devil to collect on the soul of his 16 year old daughter. And Parnassus makes a deal with the devil to try to collect five souls first. Whoever can collect five souls first wins and, yeah and um and there's like a a cynical traveler that parnassus takes under his wing in hopes that that guy will help him win over these souls and um and that's what and that was heath ledger who died while making it um and then they came up with the clever trick of every time they go into the uh imaginarium it's a different actor playing heath ledger's character so you got johnny sure. depp colin farrell colin farrell's in an extended like section of it and jude law um yeah it's also an early andrew garfield movie um i didn't i didn't remember he was in yeah that. he plays wow. parnassus's jester the one that's <laughs> like in love with his daughter but she's like you know um nice he's all silver throughout the movie though so that's maybe why you didn't recognize him but <laughs> nice. but it reminded me of Jin in this movie how he is like he's trying to finish this 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 curse this three wishes curse He's trying to convince this. He has to like convince this woman to do it like because she's become such a cynic, like she, everybody's so sure. cynical. And um, and I loved that. I loved that the movie was a genie trying to convince this woman who thinks she knows everything about how wishing stories turn out to make these yeah. wishes. Yeah. Um, and again, Parnassus has a bit more of a cynical streak, you know, in that Heath Ledger betrays him. But Parnassus was expecting it. And, you know, like. Like it has kind of like a kind of messed up ending. But this one, what I love is that it's just about getting to the root of the fact that we all want to believe 
We all want to believe that things will end well. And secretly, we want things to end well in movies. Like, I know Mm -hmm. you, I know you love your, you know, your, your, your Lars von Trier and your Spike Jones and your Charlie Kaufman. But I think it says a lot that your favorite of those movies is adaptation. And adaptation Mm -hmm. is arguably the happiest ending that Kaufman's ever written, even more so than Eternal Sunshine. You you know what I mean? Like, because, you know, we get so beat down by the world and we become cynical. I mean, that's why we not only why we engage with stories, but why we give stories to children, why there are stories Mm -hmm. about genies and stuff so that they believe in themselves and they believe in the in the beauty that the world has to offer. Yeah, there's a lot there. Well, I think with this man child kind of uh, environment that's been created over the last 20 years where we're in our. 30s and 40s buying pop doll action figures like Mm. but we know that those stories quote unquote aren't the truth so it turns us cynical and it turns us Mm. bitter and 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 i and i just want to see that go away so and i think that that might be why audiences rejected this movie a little bit well not rejected but didn't like grip it because i think it kind of fucked with them a little I think that that's fair, yeah, because, again, it it goes back to the expectations, but at the same time, yeah, like, I I don't think they know what to do with it, Mm -hmm. and so that kind of makes it difficult, too. But um, to go to your piece, though, definitely a lot of Terry Gilliam here. I was almost going to bring up Adventures of Baron Munchausen. That was my other uh, one, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was the other one that came to mind. Yeah, it's definitely that there's there's a lot of Gilliam here. And I guess George Miller in general, like kind of has always had that with a lot of his stuff. I mean, you go to Fury Road, you could probably bring up some some Gilliam there as well. So uh, it definitely makes sense that it's here too. Um, But yeah, great piece. I'll go to my next one, which is probably a little too new to uh, truly have uh, inspired it in any way, but I was going to bring it up anyway. Uh, My favorite movie of last year that we covered here on the podcast, Licorice Pizza from Paul Thomas Anderson. I think that there is a lot to love about this movie that was there as well. In that, the plot is not necessarily the point. The point is a bunch of great stories. Recalling these stories and experiencing these stories, relating to them, how we tell them, how we all experience these stories differently and how they affect us differently. The thrills of it, the excitement, the romance. None of that is the story unfolding here in 3,000 Years of Longing, but they're great stories for us to watch uh, when we're seeing all these uh, experiences that the djinn has been through on his way to this very moment in time. And uh, in a way, that reminds me of all these various experiences that we get to see uh, Gary and Alana go through in Licorice Pizza that aren't necessarily... um, leading towards anything like long term they're just experiences that we get to uh be a part of for these couple of hours in the movie theater and uh that's again back to the love of story these are two movies that just love showing you some stories i love that piece because because it, it like wow like what a what a brilliant piece because everything you just said too but coupled with that like it the the way that licorice pizza is structured is that it treats real life like a fairy tale and it actually just in how it's structured shows you that real life is a fairy tale it yeah you know if told the right way like because this movie is totally you know like we said there's genies there's you know arabian nights there's you know whatever but it it does it has you're absolutely right it has the same feeling as how licorice pizza unfolds 
And Licorice Pizza is the most down to earth movie you can imagine. It's literally yeah. about kids who, you know, all have to share a car for God's sake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, and it has that kind of fairy tale, hopeful ending, you know? Yeah. And, and again, when you talk about movies, you know, kind of like how we were talking about, like the genie definitely exists in this movie. Like the end of Licorice Pizza is them running off together in slow motion. I love you, Gary. That's the end of the story, as far as I'm concerned. They, Gary mm-hmm. and Alana, were together forever in happiness mm-hmm. because it's a movie. You know what I mean? Like, if, I, because it's a movie, and if that's what you want, that's that's what it is. And let's be honest, like that's what we want in the movie. Like you know, everybody hates rom coms these days because they think they know the formula. But the real problem is that people making rom coms are fucking it up from the beginning. It's not about <laughs> will they or won't they. The movie needs to be about they have to. Mm, like these yeah. two have to be together. Like, think about yeah. the wedding singer. Like, you know that, of course, Adam Sandler's going to end up with Drew Barrymore. You know what I mean? Right. So from minute one, we have to we have to know that they have to be together, and we have to want that. You know? Yeah. And, and, and again, kind of like this movie, like um, 3,000 Years of Longing, we want her to make the wishes and for them to go well. You yeah. Know, they have to. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And by the way, I I love that we're kept waiting like for what she might wish for, you know, because that the whole thing of her like not really having anything that she wants to wish for, and you know, we'll get to what she wishes for, I'm sure, at some point in this conversation. But uh, I I just love that that we're waiting the whole time. That's just a, a great little bit of storytelling on George Miller's part. I feel and like. once and once she does give in, it's a, like a fucking rocket ship from there on. You know what yeah, I mean? And yeah. the movie then structurally becomes chapters of her own life like with the fade mm-hmm. in and fade out and like we skip ahead a week we like it literally becomes chapters in, in a story her own story yeah. and yeah. um actually that kind of goes into the next piece that i have here um which is the never-ending story um, oh sure because i love that idea of like of like getting so engrossed in the story that you're reading or that you're hearing that you it kind of becomes a part of you mm. and and vice versa you become a part of it and it's about sharing that story because that's what Bastion learns by the end of the never-ending story. You know what I mean? Is to, mm-hmm. And for you actually messaged me about this, that the end of 3,000 Years of Longing, people are claiming that like it becomes a love story out of nowhere, like between the two right. of them. But yeah, I think that you're right. I think that people are missing it. It's not about like a romantic love with her and, and you know, sexy Idris Elba. It's literally uh, her getting involved again with the romance of stories with like the intimacy of stories and then what happens with their intimacy is much like what happened to her as a child where she had this imaginary best friend that she wrote everything down about but never shared with anybody and then eventually out of resentment burned it right and that's what happens when she's an adult that she like falls in love again with this romantic you know story gets intimate with it but then she just hides it away and keeps it to herself and you know what I mean? And she has to learn at the end to share it. And he finally yeah. comes back to her at the end once she's finished rewriting the story, like yeah. to, to share with people. And that's why yeah. he gets to come back from time to time. And I think that that message is just as important that like, you know, share, sharing stories and like, and not just holding on to things selfishly. I, you know, I think, yeah. I think that's wonderful. 
Absolutely. And yeah, Never Ending Story is great. That, that's been on my rewatch list also for like a long time. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. We but... just rewatched it a couple weeks ago, my wife and I on HBO Max. Yeah. And I can't lie. I just, I hate that movie. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's really good. It's a, it's a really yeah. well-made movie. You know what I mean? But it's just too fucked up for me. Like it's really mm. dark and really, I mean, it scared the shit out of me as a kid. It scares the shit out of me more as an adult. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Cause like, it's just like, it's just like a really upsetting movie. To, you'll love it. It's like watching yeah. mother, but the PG version <laughs> yeah. of mother, um, nice. you know, but, but, you know, interesting enough, I work on America's got talent and um, we had an act where this girl was singing the never ending story theme song. And the day that she mm. was supposed to sing that song live is the day that Wolfgang Peterson died. Oh. who directed um <laughs> a never ending story and and i and i joked that uh he probably did that so he didn't have to hear her rendition of the uh, <laughs> of, of of the song um but never changed joe uh, never i don't changed. plan on it but you know <laughs> you know yeah so uh, yeah, yeah. anywho <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah, no, that that I might as well bring this one up. Um, I almost wasn't going to bring it up because I just did earlier this year when we talked about The Lost City, but it fits so well here. Uh, Ruby Sparks, mm. um, the, the movie where Paul Dano writes his own manic pixie dream girl to life in Zoe Kazan. And, um, you know, we were just talking about it with Tilda Swinton, how she had uh, written this companion that uh, helped her through times when she was younger, but then she just couldn't bear to uh, to to live with that that character anymore, and kind of like burned the story. So again, I the the genie is real, the gin is happening here. But on a kind of parallel thread, I I do feel like he could be one of her stories, absolutely, and at at the same time and. The reason why he he comes and goes once she like finally has made her wish, her wish to uh, be able to love as deeply as he loved during all of his stories, um, is because the love is of story. And to me, the thing that I walked out of this movie feeling is, it reminded me of the idea that anytime I want to revisit any of these movies I love, whether it be adaptation, whether it be freaking terminator you know just anything like any kind of story i want to revisit i could just revisit it at any time and that's kind of how he comes back to her all those times mm -hmm. like just randomly coming back it's her revisiting the story of this Jin character and that that just brought to mind ruby sparks and just kind of creating this character for yourself as like a companion in this case it's creating a story that you get to re-experience right yeah and and as i said last time when we talked about it on the lost city i just i um paul dano is like repellent to me like i like mm. i see him in a movie I'm, I go, uh oh, if he's the lead of the movie, I go, no, thanks. Um, That's why he's so good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, honestly, Tilda Swinton is almost the same for me. Like, mm. like, you know, she's in a movie. I'm kind of like, eh, all right, whatever. But she's the lead of the movie. I'm usually like, oh, God damn it. I'm not going to that. But mm. but this movie, I actually thought that she was very good in. I, I, I thought she was really good. But I will I will point out my my wife got so annoyed when I think when I made this distinction that I thought that Idris Elba was amazing in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I thought that she, I thought that Tilda Swinton was fine. She did her job. And mm. the difference that I said to my wife, who disagreed, she thought she was wonderful in it. Um, I said that I feel like Idris Elba is an actor who's showing us his soul, who's like putting his mm -hmm. soul up there in this movie. And I feel like she is putting her spirit up there. Mm. 
Like that was that was the differentiation that I made in my mind. Um, but that's nitpicky and ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean I think she's great in it. I I yeah. will say, but but I mean certainly Idris Elba is a showier role. I mean there's not a lot for her to do other than just be this person who's kind of like a thankless role because like you know she's this kind of middle aged introverted person who right has kind of cut herself off from the world. I mean it's not exactly the kind of character you normally want to spend two hours with right and I, I will also give it up to Idris Elba that he's so good in this movie that just a few nights before I had seen Beast which was like oh, yeah. one of the best things I'd seen in the theater all year and he was so good in this movie that I didn't think about Beast once the entire time I yeah. was watching it you know totally I mean? different yeah, yeah like it was it was awesome um absolutely speaking of Beast uh I my I have another puzzle piece here uh, let's do it uh this is that's the worst segue I've ever made. Um, big fish. Um, oh, because it's a beast yeah. because it's big. Yeah, is and, that and, why? And, okay. and, a, and a, an animal. Um, yeah. Yes. Big fuck. Big fish. Um, I mean, talk about a movie actually that I think people forget about. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's one that like yeah. until somebody else mentions it, it hasn't been on your mind for at least a decade. You know? No, I and I have written on my my list here. I'm like, you know, think of some movies that are a person recalling stories and it didn't, it didn't come, come to, to mind. mind. Yeah, <laughs> no, especially ones that right. blend the idea of fantasy and reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yep. You know, I saw it when it came out, much like every film student um, when it came out, and I remember really liking it, but not being head over heels for it like everyone else was. You know, like I, I mm. liked it though. And then about four or five years later, I revisited it, and I was like, "Oh, this is why I don't like this movie." And it's because that main character sucks. He's an mm. asshole. He's a sociopath. Like the whole movie is him bragging about all these great things that he's done throughout his life and all these wonderful experiences he's had, but kind of neglects the fact that to have all those experiences, he had to like completely like fuck over other people and not care about anyone else his whole life. Like I mm, ended that movie yeah. feeling more like I agreed with his son at the beginning of the movie than his son at the end. Like, yeah, no, mm. my dad's a fucking sociopath. Like I think about um, Roy from uh, The Office, right? He's in that movie. And he plays this like kid who like was always second fiddle to uh, to um, Ewan McGregor's character. And when they're in college, when they're both of college age, Ewan McGregor's gone off to do whatever, and he meets this beautiful girl who's dating Roy from the office. Like they're together, and like mm. Ewan McGregor's like, I don't accept that. I'm gonna win her over, and he's like courting her and plants her like the whole field of sunflowers or whatever it is, and then Roy appropriately beats the shit out of him. He's supposed to be like, hey, get the fuck out of my life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, fuck you. And I'm supposed to think he's a bad guy for that. And I'm supposed to like right. laugh when that character dies masturbating on the toilet. Like, cause that happens in that movie. I'm like, that's not funny. Like, it's weird. fuck you and McGregor. Like, fuck this guy. But is it crazy to say, because Big Fish, I just looked it up, it's 2003. It, it's a kind of a product of its time. Mm. Like, you know, like everything was just so like extreme and out there. And it was like, it was almost a slightly more subtle version of extreme and out there in a way. Yeah. Cause I mean, I guess in the next year you've got eternal sunshine and mm -hmm. um, they were very like the, the, the crowds for those movies were very similar, you know, yeah. AKA art students and teenage girls. And, um, mm. and, and like, I think that what you're, what you're hitting on is interesting that like big fish was much more, 
romantic and fantastical, but still very like almost like that weird blend of real, like what is real and what isn't. And then you get one year later to Eternal Sunshine, and that's been deconstructed even further, where like yeah. there's like a there's like a a, a dreadful reality to Eternal Sunshine. It, it, you know mm. what I mean? Wow, yeah. I think you might have actually just cracked the code there. Because um, Eternal Sunshine is another one that I I I saw. Everybody was like Gaga for it. I saw it and I went, yeah, it's good. It's you know. And then I watched it during the during lockdown two years ago, and I hated it. So mm. I thought that Clementine is just such an evil, evil woman, like just an mm. evil person. And 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 the fact that much like Five Hundred Days of Summer, the fact that Joel is like pining after her, like right out of the gate, I'm like, I don't like you either, dude. Like she's not a good person. Like she, you are, you need to be away from this person. She's a toxic sociopath and she's, she's not a manic pixie dream girl. She's just manic. Like look out. Mm. No. <laughs> I know, I know Charlie Kaufman. I get it. And like, Oh, they did it. Most of it in camera. Okay. You know. hey, hey, hey. Before we move on to another piece, um, you know, I was just thinking to the point of, you know, Big Fish kind of being, you know, a product of its time in a way. Uh, I do think it's interesting also, like, towards the beginning when we're we're learning about Tilda Swinton's character and, and she is a, uh, she studies stories and, uh, you know, they certainly make mention of, you know, the moment right now of superhero movies kind of just being like the be all end all of everything at the moment. And so I, I think this movie also kind of is born out of trying to comment on what we're in at the, at this very specific yeah. moment in storytelling. Yeah. Cause we do have kind of like a duality, like, like it's, it's like a split down the middle. It's either really real or really ridiculously fantastical and kind of yeah. like what they're hinting at, I think is that the really fantastical stuff, like a Marvel movie, we almost like, they like make sure that we're not taking it seriously. Like, mm -hmm. like Marvel goes out of their way to make everything very like colorful and jokey and, you know, like not to say that we don't care about these stories, but that they they're very they're, they're very disconnected from like yeah. really trying to get to you in any kind of way. You know what I mean? And yeah, and um, I think that this movie again, like what you're saying, is like almost like a a radical bridge between the two. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, maybe not even a bridge. Maybe it's like one of those like people movers at like the airport that you like stand on. <laughs> maybe that's what it sure. Is. Yeah, it's just getting us from point A to point B. Mm. I like it. I got a little piece here that I wanted to throw in. Um, just a just a little stray observation. Uh, Kevin Smith's Dogma. I don't remember if it was Bartleby and Loki or if it was the Metatron, but uh, knowing the characters from the Bible and being like, oh, that's not how they really were. Like, you know, and Tilda Swinton's character like knows all of these, uh, you know, fantastical characters and you know the jinn knows them all personally and is like eh, that's not really how they were you know right and she's finding that all funny and you know i think that was more uh chris rock's character um, was it chris yeah, rock's like character that, okay i couldn't remember he's a, no i'm shit you owe me 12 bucks you know uh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah he's the one who tells him that jesus was black and yep 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 okay so it was chris rock's character. <laughs> that line when they Beautiful. go to movies he's like man i remember when all we used to have for breakfast was fish and goat's milk what do you call this egg and movie muffin <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that this is um i think i think you know that you, i think you were afraid to open this door and rightfully so when it comes to me talking about kevin smith at the moment especially in dogma oh, sure but no. but to keep it with dogma <laughs> um dogma as some may know is the film that made me want to be a filmmaker 
Mm-hmm. That's the movie that I saw when I was 13 years old. And I watched it every day for two weeks straight, sometimes twice a day. Like I was just so like, I was so in love with this movie. And the reason why is because of exactly what, like what you're talking about here is that as a storyteller, Kevin Smith, like so richly realized every element of that movie. Like, mm. like you've got the Golgothan, the shit monster, right? Yeah. And what you find out is that the Golgothan, where did it come from? Oh, well, you know, the hill that Christ was crucified on, everyone else on that hill was murderers, rapists, thieves. And every time they would die, they would like, you know, release their bowels and the devil collected all of that excrement and made hell's cheap assassin, right? <laughs> like, holy cannoli. Like he, he actually, you know, but then even on top of that, how do they defeat it? with air freshener that knocks out strong odors like perfect. And then they sum it up. Why would you carry this around? And then Jay farts and he sprays, you know, like it's, it's, he so fully realizes this, this for lack of a better thing to call it fantasy that he's conjured up. You know what I mean? He, mm-hmm. And because it's so richly understood, he's able to tell it in a way where he doesn't have to explain everything to you. You know, yeah. and I think that that actually speaks to the visual style of this movie of 3000 years of longing, how most movies that have visuals, this rich, this lush, this epic, they kind of like dwell on them. They linger on mm-hmm. them the, like Tarsum's uh, The Fall. You know what I mean? Like it just like yeah. lingers on these images or even something like Zack Snyder's 300 or whatever. But this movie, it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel the need to because. Yeah. It knows, like any good story, if you want, you can go back and re-experience it. You can go back mm. and pause it and relish on this page, this image, this line, this, you know, whatever. Like, it's telling you a story, and it's not going to stop to indulge in anything that isn't part of telling the story. You yeah, know? And, and those stories are all just being told to our main character, Tilda Swinton's character. So, you know, to stop on any of them for any, you know, too long of a time, too extended period... You know, it would not make sense in the overall three thousand years of longing movie that we're watching, right? And I, and I think that I think that that's another reason why modern audiences are kind of like wonky with this one because mm-hmm. we're used to movies like this being unfolding in that way, that kind of like slow fold, like indulging in the visual, indulging in the you know what I mean, or making yeah. a joke out of it, you know. And yeah. this movie does neither of those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, who would put Absolutely. that much time and detail and energy into an image that we only see for a half second? Oh, a filmmaker. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what do you got next? Uh, okay, so this next one. <laughs> this is. Uh, do you remember the movie Transcendence? Was that the Johnny Depp movie? That's correct. I, I never saw I it. I think of it more as the Rebecca Hall movie, personally. Oh, um, sure, sure. Obviously. Um, yes, I was very excited for this movie because um, uh, like Johnny Depp, I love Rebecca Hall. I love the premise. The premise is that he's developing this new AI and this radical group of anti-technology people kill him. Um, they shoot him with a bullet. Um, the bullet doesn't kill him, but it turns out they like dip the bullet in ra- uh, radium and he's like got radiation poisoning and he's going to die. So Rebecca Hall, his wife, in a desperate act, uploads his brain into the AI mm. and uploading his brain into the AI fully realizes the AI. So they start having to build like, but they have to keep it a secret because they know people will be afraid of it. Like this all powerful AI technology. And um, wait, have you not seen it? No, no, I I, I never saw it. No. All right. Then I'm actually going to spare 
like real spoilers for the movie because okay. I think that you might get a kick out of it. Like, and again, it was one of those movies that when it came when it came out, it was um, people hated it right out of the gate. It fucking tanked sure. at the box office. But I think it's another movie that like um, a was saying something that people weren't used to hearing being said that way, which is that technology is not the problem. The problem is how we utilize technology. Mm. Um, and I also think that some people just didn't watch enough Star Trek growing up um, because like they're like, this movie's cheesy. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like sci fi. What? You never watched The Next Generation? It's about the ideas, <laughs> man, not the acting or the cinematography or the special effects. It's about the ideas, idiots. Sure. Um, and they're like, well, I paid fifteen dollars to see something. And I'm like, that's fair. Um, but no, this, the movie, much like 3000 years of longing deal, like I loved at the beginning of 3000 years of longing where she's like talking about how nobody believes in fairy tales anymore. So she'll begin this one, uh, by telling it a way you can understand, you know, in a time when man flew on metal wings with, you know, with glass tablets in their hand that released music, you know, endless music, you know, and like, she's describing just flying on a plane and being on your phone or watching, you know, sure. like, um, I think that. I think that transcendence is dealing with kind of a similar thing where it's like, how is that not magic? Like how, right. how is the fact that we can literally like, you know, like my family is 3000 miles away and I can see them in six hours. Mm. You know what I mean? I can, I can high five them before dinner time at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. that is magic. And it's kind of that, like, like that idea of like recentering yourself, you know, like mm -hmm. you need to really appreciate <laughs> these things otherwise you're going to get yeah. completely jaded and lost my wife and i were just watching terminator 2 which you know that i hate um yeah but there's a moment in it where the fucking terminator the t-1000 walks through the bars like the you know goops his way through the metal bars and the, yeah. the psychiatrist is watching and he's like wide-eyed and like he just can't believe what he just saw and i was trying to think when's the last time we saw anything like that in a movie you know mm -hmm. like that new black yeah. adam movie is about to come out and in the trailer You've got the rock. He like, he's like walking toward them after falling out of the sky. The two people in the jeep, and they just like roll up their windows as like a joke. And it's right, like, no, right. where's that moment of like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah, this is insane. Yeah, this is amazing. Jurassic Park when when they see the brontosaurus for the first time, and Laura Dern stands up in her chair and does the Spielbergian pull off the sunglasses and look at something off camera with your mouth agape. You know, yeah. Like, where's that in Jurassic World? You know, yeah. Uh, in Jurassic World, they're like, wow, that's a big bug, huh? You know, <laughs> son of a bitch. So, yeah, let's not get too far into Jurassic World. Um, yeah. Let's spare the <laughs> yeah, audience. Yeah, that. You're saying that to the guy who started this with Lady in the Water and just mentioned Transcendence. <laughs> yeah. Well, Transcendence, you know, I, I haven't seen it personally, but maybe it'll uh, follow a similar trajectory here. I, I really do think people are going to find 3,000 Years of Longing in the long run. I do too. And, uh, you know, th this is definitely the kind of movie that that bombs, and then everyone ten years later says that they loved it. Story and... of my life, David. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jennifer's body, oh, yeah. much anybody? Come on. Yes, everyone loves that movie. Yeah, not like... when it came out. Yep. Nope. Anywho, I think the Last Jedi is coming around like that. By the way, there's that new article about people already like five years down the road, and actually, the Last Jedi is better than you remember. Oh. That that would be insane if people try to play it off like they always <laughs> like to. Yeah. Are you people out of your minds? But yeah, fantastic. Anyway, uh, I'm going to bring up The Fountain. Darren Aronofsky is The Fountain. Um, 
as, as you know, I like I reject the idea that 3000 years of longing is a romance um, or a love story. Like so many reviews say it's a bad love story, bad romance, whatever. Um, but the Jin stories are a big romance love story told through multiple ages and with different incarnations of the characters. And so his stories to me within the movie reminded me a lot of uh, the way the fountain uh, tells the story of this character through all these different ages and how, uh, you know, different eras and different time periods, how the love transcends through all of that. Well, you know, when I told my wife that you wanted me to be on this episode for it, she says you should talk about the fountain. She was nice, the movie that came nice. to mind for her. And I'll tell you what I told her. I was like, what the fuck makes you think that I've seen the fountain? Like <laughs> Darren Aronofsky <laughs> directing Hugh Jackman? No, no, I have not seen the fountain. But yeah, but yeah. that's two now. That's two people, you know. So nice. and I like this movie so much that maybe I'll I'll tell you what I'll watch The Fountain and you watch Transcendence and we'll see who has a worse time. Um, okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you have any more pieces? Yeah. Last one. Speaking of my wife, it's perfect because she said to me as we were leaving, she said this movie was the movie that everything, everywhere, all at once was afraid to be. Ooh, and okay. I know that that's a too new of a movie for it to be a puzzle piece, but um, I, I think it needs to be talked about that they're very similar. This like, you know, like um, they're, they're very similar in that they're using these fantasy, like fantastical realities of our modern reality to like give us a greater understanding of how we live our day to day. You know, mm -hmm. like in that movie, it's multiple universes. So the all these things are, quote unquote, really happening. But as we've talked about, we you know, the gin is real. So all of these stories are real, too. You know what I mean? That she's hearing like the Tilda Swinton's hearing the like these are true stories as far as we know. But yeah, when we saw everything everywhere all at once, my wife and I, I did not care for it at all. But she like outright loathed it hated it mm -hmm. and she said to me afterwards she said when we got home from seeing everything everywhere she said that movie is the inevitability of our postmodern idiocy that's what mm -hmm. that's what she said to me and i said that's a mouthful but um i think what she's responding to is that everything everywhere all at once oh god was it you who said that that movie is just kind of throwing people who feel this way a bone yeah <laughs> yeah no that but that's like that's that's very true like i think that that movie is all about like acknowledging the pain mm -hmm. and i feel like this movie is actually about like about being at peace like actually being at peace like not holding on to the pain anymore i feel like everything mm -hmm. everywhere all at once is kind of about holding on to the pain so that you have a greater yeah. understanding i think this is different i think this is about like like that the pain is what forms us, but we don't hold on to it. We move mm -hmm. on from it because we grow richer in love. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Which is not easy and it's not necessarily even like sexy. And you can't do that. You can't grow richer in peace and love if you're full of cynicism and irony. And that's all that yeah. everything everywhere all at once is full of. Everything everywhere all at once is full of cynicism and irony and like, quick little asides that have nothing to do with the story, like Rakakuni or something like that. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's a movie literally about distractions and, and, you know, for a movie that's trying to say the most important reality is what's right in front of you, which is what everything everywhere all at once is saying, it sure does mm -hmm. spend a lot of act three in all of the other realities. And, sure does. and I feel like if it was really believing in that message, 
that Michelle Yeoh's character in this reality would have no need or interest for those other realities anymore. Hmm. But the movie is having too much fun being like goofy and cynical and ironic and hip that it, it can't even like really get to the heart of its own feelings, you know? And I think that this movie, I think 3000 years does for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, aside from the fact that you just lost all the audience uh, by not liking everything everywhere all at once. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I lost them when my first piece was like a pro lady in the water ramp. Like, That's true. Do you That's think, true. David, after four years of doing this with you or whatever, however long we did, that I'm afraid of losing the audience? Like, Not at all. And that's why we have you on for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it, it is a great piece and a great point. And like, yeah, I mean... I I do think that the the point is a little bit lost in everything everywhere all at once whereas I think there's a real true moving forward for the character of Tilda Swinton's character here mm-hmm. and it may not be as wrapped up in a bow as uh people are are hoping for but I think it really works and I think it's a much better story overall so and you know it is you know once we get into the Jin's you know stories and all that things do get a little wacky and stuff sure. so I mean you can see the comparison there but uh yeah I, I think it's definitely a good one to uh include on the list um I have one last piece and while these movies are very different in the directions they they go i i think that there's enough of a comparison here uh it's 2018's can you ever forgive me uh the marielle heller film uh with uh melissa mccarthy oh this movie you know it's about a a writer who's uh kind of lost her way and she ends up uh coming up with this scam to uh impersonate letters from famous authors and so obviously her uh her being lost she goes in a completely different direction to to fix that. Like it's this scam and then also her kind of toxic friendship with Richard Grant's character that kind of bring her through this. Here, this character becomes friends with a genie and, uh, you know, it goes in a, a much more uh, mystical kind of a direction. But that feeling of being disconnected and really kind of losing yourself and losing the ability to love your yourself, your work, uh, people around you, um, I think that there's a, a lot between these characters that I think could be compared there. Now, I um, will never see that movie, so please, uh, may I ask, do they ever forgive her? Uh, most people probably don't, see, but... Yeah. At least enough to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I didn't see that movie because, like, I just assumed. But also... uh, It's too dark for you. If Paul Dano is repellent to me, then, like, uh, Melissa McCarthy, when I see her in a trailer, she's, like, actively trying to kill me so that I can't see her movie. (laughs) Like, I... But you probably like Richard Grant, right? Everybody likes Spice World, okay? Um, (laughs) but, But, yeah, but, like, she, like... If she's the lead of the most disappointing moment in my Hollywood life, David, I'm not kidding. Somebody invited me to a pre-screening of the Happy Time Murders, and Mm. I had no idea what it was. And the thing only said a a Muppet Noir. And I was like, Mm -hmm. whoa, that's fucking cool. And then I'm there and I'm excited. It's a year before the movie comes out. Don't know anything about it. And the first name that pops up on screen is Melissa McCarthy. And I went, fuck. Like, fuck. How did I get here? God damn it. Like, <laughs> tricked me again, Melissa. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, the, can you ever forgive me? Like, I remember that, that it just 
seemed to me like it was going to be a movie about like things, you know, turning out shittily by the end. And mm-hmm. movies like that too, movies about like a character knowing that they're doing something that they'll end up getting caught for. It's hard for me to ever watch a movie like that. Like a great example is that what's that movie? Um, House Guest with Sinbad where it's like he's mm. pretending the whole movie to be this guy that he's not. And it's like, of course, like the end is going to have to be that they figure it out and like blah, 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 blah. And like that just makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that kind of story, you know, where like there's a built in, you know, downfall from the beginning. I don't know. I don't like. That yeah, kind of sure. <laughs> I, I, I love that we wrapped up on House Guest with Sinbad. What a what a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, Joe, do you have any other closing thoughts on the movie uh, now that we've gotten through the puzzle well, pieces here? I, I realized that I forgot to kind of, like when I was mentioning Transcendence, I got so nervous talking about it when you told me you hadn't seen it because I didn't want to spoil it, that like one of the reasons it came to mind while watching 3000 Years was because the the moment where she's giving the seminar and she sees the person in the audience and has like the blackout, mm. that's the catalyst for transcendence as well. Johnny Depp's giving a seminar about this AI when he's oh, shot okay. by somebody in the crowd. And then also that um, one of the, one of the things I loved about 3000 years of longing is that after he's initially bottled up, the next time he's released is just like, you know, 150 years ago, like not that long ago, but it, yeah. I think they're, I think they're intentionally trying to, to draw like a comparison to how things were so similar 150 years ago to the way that they were 3000 years ago versus how yeah. different they are from 150 years ago to today. Like sure. how different the world looks, you know what I mean? Because yeah. to like, you know, the naked eye, the, you know, the stuff with the girl in the tower wanting all knowledge that could have been set during, you know, a very similar Arabian night kind of time. But it's sure. the, what it's supposed to be like the late 1800s. Like, I think, yeah, so. you know what I yeah. mean? Like, that's what I mean. Like, I think that they were intentionally trying to like to, you know, shift our focus on that, that parallel that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. how, how, no, that's great. How different things were. And I think the transcendence does the same thing. Like transcendence is trying to draw a comparison to what we want versus what technology can do to get us what we want and how we resent technology for its failings and for how much better it is than us yeah no that's great and yeah i mean the way that things speed up so quickly uh over these last 100 200 years like it's absolutely ridiculous and yeah that's a great uh extra note as long as you're bringing up an extra note about an earlier puzzle piece um with licorice pizza i forgot to mention there's a big age gap here between our two uh (laughs) characters Oh uh, yeah, that's. I think that does that's it. That's fucking funny, man. That's really good. That's that's. We, we don't have to dig too far into. That's that. why you're the host. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks, Joe. Joe, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, you know, um, it's one of those movies that I saw when I was like 14 years old and thought it was really cool, and then totally forgot about it and watched it two nights ago, and it's easily my favorite movie I've seen all year. Like no other movie is even compared. And that is Penelope Spears' Dudes. Oh, nice. I, I, I almost watched it while for Awesome Movie or when we did Wayne's World. I was rewatching a bunch of her stuff and I didn't get to it. Well, I, I'm going to, though. Well, you know, it, it got called to mind recently because of the Awesome Movie or episode on Wayne's World. And I saw that Jason had watched it and didn't really care for it. And I remember thinking, like, I kind of like that movie. And I'm, I'm friends with, um, with Daniel Roebuck, with Dan Roebuck mm-hmm. from that movie. And uh, I I saw him a couple weeks ago, and it just it was just on my heart. And 
while it's on my heart suddenly shout factory did this like half off sale and that was like one of the movies they had for half off and i was like well that's just fate you know so i mm, buy it sure. and i watch it with my wife the other night and that movie floored me like mm. it is the best 90 minutes like that i've spent in all of 2022 like it's it it's it's and it's weird because I'm sure you've seen earlier Penelope Spears movies like Pre Wayne's World, and they're a little rough mm-hmm. around the edges. You know what I mean? Sure. Like she's 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 a pretty she she was a pretty like uh, maverick kind of filmmaker, and and also kind of a makeshift filmmaker. There's her movies are very like patched together Pre Wayne's World, but actually sure. dudes that feels like a fucking movie. You know, and, yeah. and and it's so good it almost makes you feel like John Cryer. You see in this movie that oh man he could have been. A, a Matthew Broderick, a Michael J. Fox. You know what I mean? He really could have. Like, he had that star quality. And um, I'm glad he got that TV show years later because, like, he kind of got, you know, relegated to, like, you know, the goofy friend role when really he he was a fucking star. Um, yeah. So, like, I highly recommend that everybody see Dudes. It's on YouTube for free. Like, the whole movie's oh. on YouTube for free. Like, no excuse not to watch it. It's super good. It's a punk rock western. You know what I mean? Like revenge yeah. story. And it's 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 everything you could hope for. Jason's I'm wrong with his, to it. with his meh review. No way. Okay. <laughs> we'll see which side of the uh, fence I uh, land on there. I'm really Right in the middle is what it. I'm expecting. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Joe, tell people where they can find you and your films. Uh, BlueMeansPregnantFilms.com. That's uh, our website. It has... Uh, uh, on that website, you can see all of the films that I've ever made, save for one of or two of them, and uh, short films, all the behind the scenes and documentaries about this you know twenty year long journey that I and my friends and community have been on making movies. Um, we're gearing up to do two more movies uh, in the next year here, and uh, we'll be looking forward to sharing more news about those as they come to fruition. Awesome. Well, Joe, it's great getting you back on the podcast, and I look forward to getting you back again sometime soon. Always a pleasure. Hey there, listeners. We're the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. Two sisters and Marvel fans who discuss all things Marvel content, including the Disney Plus shows, the movies, fan theories and predictions, Marvel news, and other hot topics in the MCU. Join us each week when new shows are airing on Disney+, Plus as we break down our thoughts on each episode, predictions about where it's going next, and potential implications for the wider MCU. We also share predictions and reactions to all MCU and MCU-adjacent movies and tackle other fun topics on a bi-weekly basis when there aren't any shows airing. So come along for the ride, because Marvel just blew your mind. So let's talk about it. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about 3,000 Years of Longing. Thank you to Joe Black for joining me on that one, and thank you to you for listening. I'm so glad that movie hit rental this week, because let me tell you, I did not have time this week to record another episode. We're in the middle of, like, screener season, and there's, like, all these movies to go see, but none of them are actually open this week, so it's, like, doesn't make sense to cover them right now. I'm recording episodes for later in December and into even January, and... 
I, I don't have time for anything. <laughs> I'm totally uh, overloaded over here. Plus, getting ready to release my new album, More Content, which comes out December 30th, and I'll be launching a pre-order on December 2nd. And there's going to be a lot more news about that coming up here in the next few episodes. I'll be uh, mentioning things that are happening about that. So, uh, yeah, I'm just happy 3,000 years of longing hit rental this week, and I was able to post this episode. So, uh, yeah, we've got lots of other piecing it together on the way. Some of it's sitting in the Patreon waiting to go. I mentioned that at the top of the show, produced by David Rosen Patreon, with bonus and advanced content from piecing it together, awesome movie year, and from my music career. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Rosen if you want to sign up. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And, of course, just get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. If you think we missed any puzzle pieces or you want to maybe join me for a future episode, get in touch. There's also a contact form on our website, piecingpod.com. So speaking about the new album, More Content, let's play a song from that album. I'm going to go with a track called Inspiration. This is one of my favorite songs on the album, so uh, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, again, the album pre-order will start on December 2nd. Album comes out December 30th everywhere. And more news coming soon. So hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.